to Comic Book Workshop. It's a podcast about the craft of making comics. I'm Jason Hammonds, and I'm not an expert. On this episode, I chat with writer Henry Barajas about his upcoming comic, Helm Greycastle. We discuss his jump from nonfiction to high fantasy, the wonderful world of role-playing games, and the arduous process of kickstarting comics. Before we get to that, let's catch up for a minute. We've been on a uh, year-long break, Um, and I know personally from my Instagram DMs as well as the DMs on our uh, podcast account and various other places that people are wondering where we went. Um, There's even, I think there was an iTunes review at some point that was like, where did this go? I love listening to the show, but uh, there there hasn't been anything there for a while. Uh, Let me take the time really quick here to uh, explain uh, what's been going on. So... Uh, leading into San Diego Comic-Con last year, you know, when conventions were things that happened and people could gather and see each other, uh, Kent and I were looking down the barrel and realizing that our schedules were going to be really hard to wrangle, uh, basically, you know, past that point, once kind of the end of the summer hit. Uh, and so we decided to go into San Diego and schedule as many interviews as we possibly could catch as many people on the fly as we could and and bank up as much content as possible for the podcast uh so that you know during that time that we weren't really going to be able to to sync up and record together uh that we would still have things to do still have have a show uh and so we did uh we went into san diego and and we had some amazing interviews with uh people like Mike Mignola, Dan Waters, uh, Walt Simonson, uh, Sebastian Gurner, uh, so many people. I, I, I truly like, we, I think we counted up at the end of, of the weekend and we had recorded something like 30 interviews, maybe. Um, literally for the entire weekend, the entire convention, we were recording with people. Um, we had done a lot of prep going in and, and, you know, kind of knew who we were going to be talking to. And thankfully, uh, most of those interviews had been scheduled, right? So, so it was all, you know, very easy to sort of manage and wrangle. Um, you know, we had some kind of areas throughout the convention that we could sit down and talk to people for a little while without being interrupted. Um, anyway, so, so, uh, all that happens and, uh, you know, we head back home and, you know, start, you know, cataloging things, putting it on the hard drive and uh, uh, getting things ready to, to start editing and sort of planning what the episodes were going to be, you know, which interview was going where and, um, you know, how to kind of get all of that stuff released and what the schedule was going to be. And if we wanted to sort of, you know, accompany any of those interviews with other, you know, topics or things. Uh, and eventually, you know, between sort of the planning and, and the editing, uh, my hard drive crashed that had all of the interviews on it. Uh, and so we lost everything, um, which was, uh, incredibly demoralizing, uh, for both of us. We, you know, some of the people that we talked to were, were absolute legends that we were really, really astonished. Uh, we were able to, to speak to and get such candid answers from and, um, you know, it was just, it felt like so much, uh, work went into it. And uh, I think for both of us, it was just like devastating to, uh, lose all of that. And, and we, you know, between the guilt of like taking people's time and then not having anything to show for it. And, you know, the sort of personal thing of like, I can't believe that happened. And I don't know how to like, you know, get back up and, and keep going. And then, you know, the fact that our schedules then did get very busy and, and, you know, hard to sync up with each other. Uh, you know, we, here we are a year later and, and, uh, there hasn't been a show. Um, 
you know, which really is just a result of, of the combination of busy schedule uh, and and demoralizing uh, circumstances. And then obviously, you know, COVID coming in and I'm sure it's it's affected uh, uh, Kent as, it has, as much as it has me in terms of, you know, trying to, you know, stay uh, motivated or, 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 you know, optimistic or whatever. But when I, uh, realized recently, uh, that it had been an entire year without an episode, I, uh, decided that I, the best method would just be to get back into it and start recording stuff. Um, you know, and, and, uh, I want this to be, you know, for anyone who I haven't talked to between San Diego and now that we did interview, I just want to extend the apology that, uh, you know, that we took your time and, uh, and that there's nothing to show for it. I know that conventions are really busy and crazy and, you know, getting word of mouth out there, uh, on your, on your work is, is really important. Um, and so, you know, hopefully we can over the course of, uh, of the next, you know, weeks and months and stuff, hopefully I can get those people back on the show and, uh, uh, you know, make up for lost time, so to speak. Um, but either way, it's, I think, just uh, sort of time to move forward because I really, really like doing the show. I love talking to cartoonists. Um, I love, you know, hearing about the craft of making comics and I love learning more, uh, which is, you know, always been the goal of this podcast is that, you know, myself and, and this, you know, went for Kent as well is we're not experts. We're not people who know everything about this, but our entire, you know, goal here is to keep learning, is to, to hear uh, what the people who do it best uh, have to say about how they get it done. Um, so anyway, I, I really appreciate everyone who's who's still subscribed to the feed and who's uh, stuck with us. Um, you know, to the people who have reached out uh, asking about the show, I, I apologize for not responding. Uh, I haven't really known what answer to give uh, for the last year. I haven't known how to uh, tackle it, but hopefully this uh, will suffice for for those curious uh, that the show is back. I don't know exactly what the release schedule will be, but I do know that it will be uh, at the very least regular. Um, I don't know if it'll be weekly yet. I don't know, you know, bi-weekly, uh, what that will end up looking like in the long term. Um, but either way, I, I plan on uh, uh, having this show coming out pretty regularly. It'll be a bit less structured uh, than than the show has been in the past. Uh, there won't be as many, you know, sort of segments and, and you know, kind of clean breaks and editing and, um, you know, sort of like discussion plans necessarily. Uh, it will be very much interview focused, which, you know, to me, I, I, I think could be better, right? I mean, you know, someone like me can postulate and talk about things that I've learned as much as possible. But, you know, someone like our guest today, Henry, is probably going to know a lot more than I would anyway, right? Like anything that I have to say is from a... a, a pure, you know, mindset of a student. Um, and, and a lot of these people are, are full-blown experts, uh, in my opinion. And so uh, the show will be very interview-focused going forward, and I'll make sure that we have some of the best people and, and, and best creators in comics uh, coming on to talk uh, on every episode. Um, I'm really excited for, for some of the guests that I've already lined up and excited for the guests uh, that are still to come. Uh, it should be a fun time. Either way, I'm really, really happy to uh, have Henry back for, for another episode. He was on uh, in, in one of our earliest episodes uh, talking about the Kickstarter that he was running then, which was for uh, La Vosta Mayo. I will let Henry tell you all about in this interview. He, he talks about all the amazing things that have happened with that book in the last year. I highly recommend checking it out. But for this episode, Henry is back on promoting another Kickstarter. He's been uh, running 
Kickstarters for not only his personal projects, but also for uh, Top Cow Productions, where he's the director of operations. Uh, and so he's very experienced in this topic. He, he knows Kickstarter in and out. And so we talk a bit about that, but also his writing process uh, and and his love for uh, role-playing games, uh, which led to then the creation of Helm Grey Castle, which is a gorgeous book that uh, I can't wait to hold in my hands. And I hope you guys all back it. There's seven days left in the campaign as I'm recording right now. So uh, I hope you'll jump on it and, and show the support for a uh, comic book workshop regular. Um, but without further ado, I think it's time to get into the interview with Henry. And welcome back, finally, listeners. As I'm sure you heard in the preamble today, we are talking to a writer who uh, you might know from La Vos de Mayo, as well as the upcoming Helm Grey Castle. Today, we're talking to Henry Barajas. Welcome to the show, Henry. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me, man. Oh, of course, of course. Uh, so you are you are one of uh, you might be the first returning guest. You might be the second. I can't quite remember. I have to go back and look because uh, you know because of the hard drive crash, it's hard to tell who was actually on the show a second time and who was uh, recorded and then lost to the ether. Either way, um, it's good to have you back. Uh, the last time we had you on, uh, we were talking on a con floor, which is uh, seems like a far distant memory. But um, right, uh, we were talking My about last con your... was September. No, it was January. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, you were right up against the the sort of. I mean, you know, I, I assume you didn't end up going to what was it C two E two that was the last official con before everything closed down. Right? But, yeah, January. Is still yeah, close. no, I did not. Um, I you know I. Um, was going to a different show that was more centric uh, to Latinx um, comics creators. Yeah, yeah. In Texas. That's awesome, man. And that, and that, yeah. Texas is is one of those uh, spots that I have always been curious about the comic book industry there because it's I always hear little peeps and stuff, but it's not the one that's getting shouted from the rooftops. You know, people aren't constantly mal- like going off about how Texas is a huge comic place, but I, I, I figure it's got to be. I mean, the arts culture gen- in general in Texas seems so strong. It, it is. Um, it's one of those places where um, the state is like its own economy. You know, a lot of people have good paying jobs and they're bored. And a lot of them <laughs> trade jobs or like engineering jobs or a lot of healthcare, you know, um, folks. And sure you know, NASA's out there. It's, it's an interesting place to be where you're surrounded by a huge population of people mm-hmm. and the economy's I mean, was doing really well. So people, um, and also they love the conventions. They love meeting like Chuck Norris. I, I remember he was there. Uh, <laughs> and you know, they just love meeting these celebrities and they have deep pockets and uh you know like they say everything's bigger in texas bank accounts are bigger the jobs are bigger a lot of people on like electric wheelchairs there i mean it's really you know they have they have whataburger i love it you know oh yeah i man i haven't been to a whataburger in a long time i haven't been to whataburger since i was in texas two years ago wow yeah i uh the the last time the last time you were on the show you were promoting a Kickstarter of course this was for Lavos de Mayo which is the incredible book that uh, our listeners should already have li- have uh, have read but Thanks if you haven't <laughs> you can find it uh, yeah you can find it all over the place uh, it's the the first uh, full volume is collected when we were talking of course we were talking about the Kickstarter for the first issue um, uh, but the entire collected edition is available I mean just about anywhere you can buy comics is that uh, is that fair to say seems like it to me 
Um, you know, yes, I'm very lucky that comic book stores have picked it up. You know, there was a couple months ago was uh, Hispanic history is Heritage Month. Now we're in Native American history, uh, Native American Heritage Month or uh, what is it called? American Indian Heritage Month. Mm -hmm. And that book falls in both those months, which I'm very lucky in a lot of libraries, bookstores, comic shops. And just recently, a friend of mine was in Washington, D.C. and and spotted it at the Smithsonian. Wow. And I I, I saw that Instagram post and that blew my (laughs) mind. That was so awesome. It's one of those things where like if I were white, a lot of comic book publishers would probably reach out to me. But uh, it's interesting because like I don't know anyone else that has a comic book for sale at the Smithsonian's bookshop. You know, it's like, like so many people go for, you know, to that museum and probably pass through that gift shop. And I'm so lucky, like the amount of people that are probably going to that store, you know, uh, eclipse like a lot of comic shops, you know, it's absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting. And I'm so lucky. And I, and I attribute it to, my SPX visit last year and I was there and I didn't know who I was talking to, but a lot of people work for the government or museums and a lot of people sure. support comics out there. I think it's one of the best conventions I've ever been to. And, uh, it was yeah. uh, added to the library of Congress. And I think that might Whoa. have something to do with it. I mean, it was just like, they were adding a lot of books at that show. I think that's just something they do. Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, that's still, that's incredible though. I mean, those are such amazing accomplishments, uh, especially as your, as far as I know, that was your uh, debut series that was, that was fully written by you. Is that correct? Uh, No, I mean, it was my, it's my biggest book I've ever written. Like the, the most high, um, high profile, like I've written a graphic novel called Captain Unicorn. No one's ever heard of that's out of print, you know, uh, it's it, it just it just I couldn't get any it was like my first graphic novel and sure. my best friend Christian Valera and I Christian Valera and I really just did it to make each other laugh and mm-hmm. um it's like a 46 page graphic novel and I love it and I and I hope someday we can revisit it but Love yeah. Mayo is like my most uh it's it's the years of studying the medium uh really honing my craft and um marriaging journalism and and sequential storytelling and uh sure it yeah it really crescendoed for that and i'm really lucky that jay gonzo the artist set aside his his series la mano del destino which he just kickstarted and um we also have uh bernardo breese who lettered the book he lettered um where we live i don't know if you're familiar with that Mm. graphic novel oh of course yeah i've got it on my shelf (laughs) yeah so he worked with 100 and different 150 different comics creators so i knew Mm -hmm. that if he can handle that he can handle my difficult ass and like (laughs) absolutely it was like all right this guy can do can get the job done and that's so much to handle right yeah so and i had claire napier to help and thanks to you and a lot of uh kickstarter backers um, that yeah. book would not be possible. So I'm very grateful. Absolutely. 
And everyone listening out there, go buy the book, go read it. It's truly incredible. It's one of my favorite books I've ever read. Uh, I, as someone who who was born in Arizona, there's so much of Arizona's history in that book that that I had never known about, as well as the history, of course, you know, of of, of so many other things. Um, it's a it's a truly comprehensive work, and obviously, you know, with the the close connection to your grandfather, with it being about such you know like familial ties and and really personal stories. I mean, I, I it's so excellent, and obviously. Gonzo's incredible work in it, like the whole book is is amazing. I couldn't say enough. Uh, Thank uh, you. Great things Thank about it. Thank you so it. much, man. Um, but now, of course, uh, as as you're on the show right now, you have a new Kickstarter, which uh, people may not have expected to be. You know, if, if people don't know you too well, they might not have expected that that this would be the next project that you'd be launching after a nonfiction, you know, historical uh, <laughs> uh, book that was very personal. But uh, your new book, Helm Gray Castle, which uh, currently, as the listeners are hearing this, uh, has uh, only seven days to go on Kickstarter. Uh, Helm Gray Castle is a a, a fantasy book, um, you know, fiction, fantasy. Uh, uh, tell the listeners a bit about it. I, th- I think it's it's truly exciting. And I, I, I feel like such a an amazing show of range uh, for your uh, personal Kickstarter. That was, yeah, that was definitely... Um the point to do <laughs> to do to go from Lavos de Mayo to Helm Grey Castle was uh, to show some range um, mm. because a lot of people that I really respect and admire were like, you know, you should really look into doing another uh, book like, you know, like at the end of Lavos de Mayo, I mm. hint to doing a book about uh, Dolores Huerta and Cesar mm. Chavez. And I, I would love mm. to do that. And uh but I think um, it planted a seed in everybody's mind that that's what I want to do. And mm-hmm. yes, but I also like want to do stuff that has nothing to do with, you know, history, like at least real people. Um, sure. So Helm Greycastle was, is my first D&D character I ever created. And I wanted to, um, I really wanted to like, when I learned how to make a character, I then felt tricked by guys like Jim Zub and like Karen (laughs) Gillen. Like you guys just use your D and D campaigns to make comics. (laughs) So I want to do this too, you know, like hell yeah. And Helm gray castle is kind of a bait and switch in the sense that there's these, you know, misfit adventurers are forced into this un like unknown land. That is the Mesoamerican, the Lechitan, Aztec world Mm -hmm. and it is still kind of like a mystery to us like there's always um you know are like scientists and explorers finding new places all these years later so Mm -hmm. I wanted to um introduce kind of the themes that D&D borrows from Mesoamerican history and culture and people but also Mm -hmm. kind of show them more than just like heart carving, blood sacrificing savages, and really explore the artistic and um, uh, scientific part of the Aztecs. And you know, we we use the Mayan calendar for Christ's sakes. Like these people Man. couldn't be that stupid and savage. <laughs> and yeah, and the other problem I had with this book was, or I mean while researching this book was white people really just kind of tell the history. And I was like Mm -hmm. watching documentaries and reading books. And it wasn't until I got this book called broken spears that had a direct, um, 
like source of the indigenous count of what the people had experienced. And it was a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, fear, death, murder, rape. And um, I wanted to explore that. And it, the idea is like, what if Lord of the Rings, like Mordor had a South side? What if, <laughs> and there were the, you know, they were the Mexicans and yeah. they were like, you know, the indigenous people and they believed in magic and they had art and fashion and food. Sure. You know, they created the tortilla. Like we eat corn in the form of a circular flat piece of paper that like, uh-huh. you know, we wouldn't have tacos without it. So, sure. So and that, these, that, that's a true tragedy. <laughs> that, that, that's a world I don't want to live in. So the idea is to be like, what if these people also were in this world, you know, and, and, and make it kind of like a dog treat, but with some medicine in it, you know, like, yeah, totally. they're getting Helm Greycastle, but they're really getting a mini history lesson with creative license, mm-hmm. you know, so that's the, exciting. This is like truly one of the most brilliant approaches that I've seen to fantasy because you're right. I mean, the, the, typical you know like uh sword and sorcery genre and i mean truly you know most genres of american fiction tend to be very myopic right like you you the world of lord of the rings you know it's got some elements of it you know that are that are you know semi wide ranging but it's like it's like looking at the wide range of a of a hemisphere rather than of an entire globe right like it's definitely it's uh and so the 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 limitations to uh, the the sort of you know prototypical or the the widely you know kind of regarded uh, fantasy worlds are are clear as you start to you know not only look into your Kickstarter campaign here and read about it and, and see the pages and stuff like it's clear how much uh, uh, area that there has been in this genre how much rich fully untapped area there's been um, to tell much more interesting stories that don't just sort of play on the same, you know, uh, uh, areas that Tolkien was playing with in world war one or whatever. Like it's, it's really, and I think you, you talking about like, what if Mordor had a South side, I think is, is such a, uh, such a quick way of understanding exactly like how much room there is to really grow. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it's rooted in history and it's rooted in fact. And it's like, to me, kind of and it's also me dealing with so one of the things jason gonzalez used to say gonzo excuse me during our interviews for la voz was we are like a blood of the um indigenous and the conqueror and Mm. when like you know i think one of the things that we all kind of wrestle with is like you know i yeah i my mother's side is indigenous the sonoran desert but my father is um, from Mexico where, you know, where the, the blood of the conqueror runs deep and it's like you, like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not your fault. You know, there are neo-Nazis, you know what I mean? There's like, yeah, totally. we all have like a weird dichotomy of like who we are and how do we wrestle with that? How do we come to peace with who we are? And that's what I'm kind of doing with the Helm Greycastle and the, the Mesoamerican side of things. And, learning how to incorporate the beauty and the destruction and make it a compelling sword and sorcery story and make it fun and make it interesting and, and introduce some, you know, like some themes that, that work in this world. Sure. 
Yeah, it's it's it ties, I think, into like the idea of being, you know, like if we're if we're sort of just applying it to like everyone, you know, in America, for instance, right? Like the idea of being American means so many different things. And 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 the roots of America, like where this this modern sort of version, you know, and 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 government of America comes from are pretty messed up, you know, and there's, there's not a lot of good, you know, if you're, if you're really looking at the origins of this country, but it is now a country that is, you know, that is full of, of people from all sorts of backgrounds. You know, it's one of the biggest melting pots of, of on, on the globe. And like, it's that thing of like reckoning with whatever the sort, you know, whatever the roots of it are with what you want it to be and, and what it can be. Uh, And I think that like, exploring those exactly what you're saying like the the concepts of what your legacy is what your inheritance is with with sort of what you yourself want to be uh it's it's really awesome like exploring that through high fantasy yeah um, and i you know i think i'm so lucky that my friends who i play D with we had like a weekly or bi-weekly kind of therapy session where we all just got to be somebody <laughs> else and have fun and enjoy our, our company and and eat cheese and drink wine and, <laughs> and, and let's let's talk about uh i, I want to talk about D actually a little bit because obviously this book comes from so much of that like how how long have you been playing D? how did you first sort of come into it well when i moved out to los angeles i was um i had some friends they were like you know you know always telling me that they were work they were playing D and i was like i don't know what that is and they were always so shocked and <laughs> It was like to me, kind of like, how are you shocked? Like, Mex- like how many Mexicans do you know that play D and D? Like, sure, you know. Uh, so I tried to explain it to them, and they were like, "Well, do you want to try playing it? We're going to start a new game." And I was like, "Yeah, I do." You know, I want to like play something, and because I don't play, I used to play video games a lot when I was a kid, and sure, and you know, I liked the turn-based like final fantasy stuff so that's how someone explained it to me and then i got it Mm -hmm. i was like oh it's like final fantasy except you have to create the character (laughs) okay so i could do that and um um then i got into it with some friends and they became like a second family to me and we had so much fun and it was fun to be somebody else and inadvertently kind of including some of yourself into it and the most embarrassing times, you know, and sure. um, it was great. The first game we played was, or I've ever played was uh, the curse of Strahd. I don't know if you've ever played that mm. or heard of it. I haven't actually, I'm, I'm such an, like I, I'm a full noob with, with RPGs. Oh, man. I, you would love yeah, it because you love telling stories and you love like creating, you know, I think you were, I think totally. you'd really dig it. It's, it's one of those things. I have so many friends who are like RPG nerds, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, because I draw, right. Like I, when I moved to LA, I fell in with a bunch of other artists cause I'd go to like figure drawing nights. And so I ended up with all these like nerdy animation and comics friends who, who are all super into this stuff, which is dope. Cause I like growing up, I, I was into this stuff, but it was a secret, you know, like I, I played sports and like was trying to like fit in with that sort of crowd and be a cool kid who like hung out at the skate park. Wow. Uh, but like it, it really wasn't until like, I moved to LA that I started being like, yeah, I'm a comic book nerd. Like that's, that's my zone. Uh, uh, or I guess like about a year before that, but, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm still like, there's a lot of this, these areas of the culture that I'm still like fully new to because I didn't, uh, have those, you know, friends growing up, which, you know, sounds like you were kind of in a similar boat to some. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. If you were to tell me when I was a kid, you could get a piece of paper, a pencil, 
a rock and a rule book and you can have fun <laughs> for three hours, like I'd be down. I'd be down to hey. clown. Totally. I truly like it, kind of the same for me. I, as you say, like, I think storytellers are naturally gravitated to this kind of game. And, and yeah, like, you know, I was a, a, a lashkey kid with not a ton of resources growing up. Like that's, you know, you don't really need much to, to be able to do this kind of thing. So I feel like it's, it's a perfect way to kind of, uh, uh, exercise all those muscles for the, you know, more, uh, creative slash ADHD oriented, uh, kids like ourselves. Definitely. Um, so I want to talk a bit about the the creative team, uh, and it, I'm I'm betting that as we uh, you know go through the list, you've got nine people listed here uh, for for various reasons, which we'll get into. <laughs> but I'm willing to bet some of these people are going to be uh, uh, people from your D and D group. Is is my indication? No one in, from my D and D group is in there, and actually, I Whoa. should get someone to draw in my D and D group to draw a cover. Hey, well, maybe that's a tease. Maybe if uh, maybe if these uh, these kind listeners will uh, help meet some of those stretch goals, maybe that maybe we can see that come to fruition. Um, so uh, so the, the first co-creator that that uh, you have listed here is Brian Valenza, who's the colorist as well as co-creator. How did uh, how did Brian get involved in the project? Brian Valenza is an amazing colorist and he runs a studio in in Indonesia and um, there's so many amazing storytellers and artists in Indonesia. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, he emailed me last January and asked if I was, he, he said he wanted to work with me. I guess he had got a hold of La Voz de Mayo or saw me complaining on Twitter and um, said, I have a team of artists and we want to do some, some original stuff because they mainly do like licensed stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, what genres do you want? Like, I got ideas, but like, you know, what do you want to draw and what do you want to create? So one of them asked for fantasy. The other one asked for superhero. And the other <laughs> one wanted to, to do like a, a horror story for mm-hmm. kids. So I threw them three scripts. And um, the one that was the quickest was Ramat Hondoko. And, and Brian colored up the pages and he wants to do an anthology. And so I was showing everyone at work at top cow. I was mm-hmm. like, Hey, look at William, what me and Brian are working on. And they were so overwhelmed. They were like, they were very taken away with the art. Mm-hmm. And, um, they were like, you gotta, you gotta do something with this. So I was like, all right, I will. <laughs> and, um, so I started to show it to other people and everyone was so impressed and I was so happy. And, uh, with yeah. the reception, and then um, I was supposed to launch this a month, no, like back in March and then uh, the pandemic happened. Of course. And then, um, so it gave me time to like look at the script and come back to it and revise and revise. It's probably the most revised script I've ever worked on. And um, then I got uh, in touch with my friend Jeffrey Golden and Amanda Meadows. They ran uh, Devastator Press. Now Amanda's over at... Um, at uh, Oni. And oh yeah. I wanted them to help me write a, a role-playing game for it because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of rolled and told and mm-hmm. I wanted to do something like that for top cow. We just never really got around to doing it. So here sure. was my chance to do what I've been talking about for a year now. And uh, they were like, you should talk to Tristan Tarwater who wrote, who wrote some of the stories. And I was like, okay, cool. So I got on mm-hmm. uh, I did a zoom, no, a Google hangouts call with Tristan Tarwater and I told them what I wanted to do and they just picked it up so quickly 
and yeah. they're going back to school and um, enrolled in a Spanish literature class that kind of deals with the invasion. So it was very serendipitous that sure. they're learning about this history. And um, I'm a big fan of Jen Vaughn. Jen Vaughn yeah. is um, an amazing, is I think one of the funniest people in comics probably, <laughs> you know, ever. And I've always wanted to work with Jen. So she, um, we did, and we also, she runs Big Dun Jen Show. And mm-hmm. I was on that and we played a, um, like an, an indie RPG that was like aliens adjacent, but like you were also on a, like on a ship. So you, it was very cool. Like it was, it was so cool to like play it, uh, something else that wasn't D and D, but also like mm-hmm. create a character with their module that is very easy to play. And it's not, it, it it's very easy for like first time role playing game, um, people to, to get into it. So, sure. um, so I asked her to do spot illustrations for it and, uh, we're going to do a map what I want to do is put the map on the inside front and back cover. So you have to tear mm-hmm. the pages off out of the oh, comic. That's cool. So you can put your characters on the map. Buddy, that is legitimately anything. Like when I first started reading comics, when I was, you know, like, I don't know, 11 or 12. And even to this day, my favorite thing ever, which rarely happens in comics, it seems be probably because of collector culture or whatever. But like my favorite thing is when there's a, some sort of tearaway, item you know like whether it's a like you're saying a map or even like some sort of you know spread or whatever like anything that can be torn out and used in a different way from a comic is is my specific zone of like huge appeal yeah me too and um you know i'm i'm one of those guys who i think you should fold your comics in half and tuck them in your back pocket with your baseball cards and your chewing bubble gum comics need to be shown they need to be shown love they should be wearing the signs of the fact that you've really enjoyed the comic you know the dog-eared pages and ripped out panels i also think it helps the collector's market because are you you're gonna be like do you have a copy where you tear the pages out or is it still together totally well and that's i mean that's the only reason the collector's market exists in the first place right is because you know comics were were back in you know the original days in the in the largely pulp days like they were tossed around and discarded and thrown in gutters and you know yeah. burned obviously a lot of them were uh recycled uh, yeah recycled no, of course yeah like it's it's the collector market only exists because it was a disposable medium and i think that's the thing that some people forget they're always like you know, uh, uh, trying to hermetically seal them and put them in the damn CGC tombs and uh, all that stuff. But yeah, I think you're right. Like the fact that if more people love their comics, you know, in in that way where they're not worried about preserving them, but they're worried about enjoying them, then then it's only good for collectors and readers alike. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I it is definitely for everybody. Um, yeah. So. And I, Oh, this ahead. is so impressive too that like you're 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 doing this story which is obviously very inspired by D and 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 inspired by role playing games, but then also incorporating a role playing game back into the comic into the world that you're creating here. And you know between Tristan and Jen, that's such a great team to have behind it. Uh, and I mean, this is truly an all star lineup. I mean, Gabriella Downey is an incredible letterer. I think Ramat uh, Handoko's work is like more beautiful than I've ever seen, especially with Brian's colors. But even down to Sasha Head, your designer, who is one of my favorite designers in comics, like her work on <laughs> Decorum, for instance, is incredible. Yeah. And same with like the Image Plus design. 
Um, yeah. And then yeah, Claire, that's Claire how Napier. I started working with Sasha. Uh, I, it's funny. So like Sasha and David brothers were the people I, e- I emailed when I was working on that. And I'd always, um, start it with Hermano y Gabesa. So I call her <laughs> Gabesa cause that's her, mm-hmm. you know, she's the head. And, uh, <laughs> that's, it took me, I'm embarrassed of how long it took me to connect, uh, Hermano y Gabesa, like <laughs> to, to brothers and head. Uh, that's really funny. <laughs> so, and you know, I think, um, Sasha has an incredible eye for making comics look amazing. And I, want that i want someone who's going to take a minute to like look at what we're doing make it look Mm -hmm. cool make it look like something everyone wants i want this to look like a comic also a D &D one-shot game Mm -hmm. and uh you know part of me wants to put D &D to shame like can you i want them to like this this role-playing game is set in the mesoamerican world where you're a villager you're getting one of the 12 omens that really happened. This really happened. There was 12 mm. omens over a decade of warning the Aztecs that the Spanish were coming. So now wow. these vet, these villagers are going to arm themselves for the invasion. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping That's in subsequent issues, we go f- deeper and deeper into the invasion. So when we get to this, when you are reading their story, you're starting to understand the hell these people went through to to mm-hmm. continue to thrive because mm-hmm. it's a what That's, if totally yeah which like again what what are what are comics for if not uh, telling what if stories yeah um well so th- this is this is truly incredible and i like i truly i implore all of our listeners to, to go and back it because you are so close to uh i mean by the time they're hearing this you might have already hit your third stretch goal but uh y- even with that you're so close to the fourth stretch goal which uh would have a second rpg by uh by jeffrey golden uh included with this uh uh yeah that's the one i want you know i really i mean jeffrey golden um was and and amanda meadows were behind the wet hot american summer role-playing kickstarter Mm -hmm. and it's so funny to read on its own and he has his own uh they both do a podcast where they read um, pulp novels they're very funny people and I'm mm-hmm. one of those people that likes humor and like dark humor. And I feel like mm-hmm. the second game is going to be a dark humor game where you're, you know, in this world and it's going to be, it's going to have some, some points where everyone's laughing. That's my goal. If not, Hell yeah. you know, it's hard to get, you know, I, I think it's harder to, to pull comedy off when it's not, you know, spoken word or on stage, mm-hmm. but totally. Uh, yeah. Comedy know. is really hard in comics, but I, I, if I know you, I mean, even just from uh, Lavos de Mayo, like I, I, I know you can pull off comedy on the page. <laughs> there is some jokes in Lavos de Mayo that I don't know if anyone got. There's a part where Mo Udall goes into the to Ray Fimbres' office and he says, mm. "The guy with the glass eyes coming in," and Mo says, "I'm, I'm half blind. I'm half blind, not deaf." <laughs> So I, it's like one of those moments where they, like these two guys are like, it's a power play, you know, these, yeah, you know, I, I heard what you said, but he's also yeah. self-deprecating, which he was the actual That's man. So fun. Yeah. I love that. I, I, it's, it's so nice. And I think this is the thing too, in comics where like, I think you're able to blend genres so much more in comics than you can in any other medium. Like mm-hmm. the medium is so 
open to dark comedy and high fantasy existing concurrently. Yes. Um, uh, which is awesome. Um, but anyway, mo- moving aside from all of that, you know, sort of directly talking about the project and all that stuff, which again, everyone needs to go and back it and we'll, we'll be bringing that up again throughout, you know, the interview. But I do want to talk about your process. Um, one of the things that I'm curious about is how was your process different writing, you know, like actually scripting this first issue? Obviously you said you've, you, you've rewritten it more times than anything else, but in terms of your approach to writing, was it any different approaching this story than it was with Lavos de Mayo? And, and what were sort of those differences to you? Lavos de Mayo was a lot of research and Helm was a lot of research for trying to have a basic fundamental understanding of Mesoamerican history, the people, the rulers, the conquistadors, you know, having those mm-hmm. kinds of pieces of information, but also knowing enough to kind of take a left turn like, mm-hmm. um, and do that. And also with La Voz de Mayo, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew what I wanted to say. And it was like, it was, it was almost like writing in real time for five years. And there was a lot of questions about my family's history and their accomplishments. And I kept getting a lot of, I kept, I kept answering those questions, but those questions begged more and more i mean those answers begged more questions so at a certain point i had to stop and with helm Greycastle, it was like okay what if the rock was conan and (laughs) he needed to save the last dragonborn but was forced Mm. to go into this unknown world and let's go from here like how do we you know and then and then I started to go, well, then wh- what does everybody want? So there's Helm Greycastle. He wants, he has a wife who's Vola. They have a daughter. They're both outcast and they're both not welcome back in their respective, um, you know, places. So they see a home in this uncharted world. You know, maybe no one will ever find us. Maybe we can live here. Maybe we can help mm. these people overthrow the ruler. You had, you have the, the vi- you know, the, the like, um, the nomad of Oscar Frostbeard, who's a dwarf and who wants to, you know, uh, help his, his lover Fang. And they're Mm. both outcasts because same sex marriage isn't really is frowned upon from where they come from. And then you have, uh, uh, Shiva who's, who was a legend bard and lost her voice to a wench and she's kind of like the R2-D2 of the group. Like she only <laughs> speaks in music. So everyone sure. knows what she's saying, but the reader doesn't really know. <laughs> I love that. And so, you know, she wants to find her voice and maybe she finds something in this world. And so they all want something. And yeah. the Aztecs want to survive. So the last time they had people, unknown visitors they were almost completely um, stamped out of history. So they're not really too kind to visitors. Sure, sure. That's going to be a cool dynamic to play with. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's, it's very like... um classically mythological while also kind of you know bringing in sort of you know the the modern sensibilities of storytelling i mean obviously like in classic myth it's it's very often you know venturing into an unknown land and and you know a lot of things there but then there is oftentimes this weird colonial element where it's like venturing into this distant land and 
uh, uh, sort of, you know, learning everything you can from them and taking it for your own, right? Like there's this very colonial imperial uh kind of mindset to a lot of these stories about you know white guy venturing into different land and then learning all the secrets and taking them back home or whatever um but it's 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 interesting to sort of blend blend those uh those sensibilities of of that classical you know like venturing into far off lands and 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 unknown cultures with sort of the the more current sensibilities of of you know kind of like what these things mean for identity, what these things mean, you know, to like who, who you believe you are in your core. Um, Yeah, exactly. That's really interesting. So when you're putting this all together, do you, I mean, I know for me, for instance, you know, my process is, is all over the place. And a lot of it is just like at any random moment, pulling my phone out and jotting down like a tiny little note of like, Oh, this could happen here. Or like, Oh, maybe this person should be this or like this. Here's what they're thinking here. Here's what they're trying to express. Here's what like is causing them, you know, that kind of stuff. What is your, you know, with, with things like this, there tends to be so much world building. Um, you know, do you keep notebooks? Do you like, how are you kind of managing and developing that stuff as you go along? There is a Google doc Mm. and I created a pitch package, um, for the series. So I have Mm. an overview of what's going to happen for every issue. Wow. So there are beats, you know, for one thing after another. Um, Mm -hmm. and there are, as there's a character sheet of all the characters and what do they want? And if I get stuck, I go back to addressing that want mm-hmm. and making that and making all these wants kind of co and conflict each other, you know, mm-hmm. like these characters want to live in this uncharted world, but they have to help overthrow the government, the rulers. Sure. How do you stay in a place that's going to be in civil unrest for an un- unreasonably questionable time? Yeah. You know, how do you, how do you skirt that? So having these conflicting wants in this overview and these character sheets, kind of like D and D sheets, like you, I have built some, some, some of these characters have actual character sheets, like in D and D beyond. So mm-hmm. I know their abilities. I know what they're capable of in, in, on a, on a fantasy way in a fantasy like level, like D and D level. Totally. So to me, it's kind of, you know, a lot of it is, I mean, because it's not like I have to tell a factual story about this person and have to mm-hmm. get to this, drive this point home. Part of me is mm-hmm. kind of very excited with the unknown and being yeah. able to be like, oh, I can shift and do something different or it, this doesn't have to be this way because it's mm-hmm. kind of like a D&D game where sure your characters and your players are going to surprise you. And they're going to say yeah. something to make you go, oh, that's cool. I didn't think of that a year ago. Yeah. Yeah, that you're not necessarily like getting so um, um, George Lucasy about it that it becomes this person has to do this here because in order for them to do this later, then they have to do that. You know, like it's it's a bit more organic where you can kind of like follow whatever the the, the kind of hint of it is. I guess it's, you know, sort of that like um, Stephen King talks about that a lot where he kind of he knows his stories up to about the halfway point when he starts writing uh, and then lets everything, you know, the characters dictate it from there. And it sounds like you, you have a similar approach here where you're kind of like listening to sort of what the, the rhythms and wants and needs of each of your characters are telling oh, you yeah. as you go along. Like I, the year ago, I didn't have an idea for this, for my main character who I, which I can't wait to get to now. Sure. 
And there is another character that has yet to be revealed, which I'm excited to go into his backstory. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, there's like a lot of possibilities and I'm so excited by that. Like I am, I, it's keeping me in the game, you know, this, as you know, how horrible and terrible racist and sexist this industry can be. And you know how, how like, I mean, you're a fantastic colorist. Like you should be coloring comics. Like there was only like four colorists in the comic book industry. There's only like yeah, three really. letter artists in the comic book industry that everyone uses, mm. you know, mm. and there's only like four guys that's writing multiple books and they only let their yeah. friends write those books, other books. Yep. So it's you're all like the, the who you know of it. Exactly. So it's like a lot of the times I'm like, why am I in this industry? What, you know, is it? <laughs> I'm tired of crowdfunding my projects. I'm tired of asking my personal network of people who I'm so grateful want to see me do well, Mm -hmm. you know? So the fact that it's resonating with a lot of strangers, the fact that I think because it's a fantasy element, there is going to be, uh, you know, you have the option to buy Aztec gold color metal dice. Hell yeah. You know, you have the option to buy a dice bag that's being hand constructed as we speak. Whoa. You know, um, you have the option I, to learn how to kickstart your own comic if you're an aspiring comic book creator. There and that's is, something I, I do want to touch on really quick because, I mean, you know, our listeners are so many of them creating their own comics, right? And, and Kickstarter is, you know, it's Kickstarter is an exhausting thing to do right like it's it's so much more than just creating the comic and and uh it's a hard world to navigate but it is like you're saying it's it's a way of opening up the doors for the people who aren't one of the four writers who get to to write multiple books or any of you know the established colorists or artists or whoever uh tell me just a little bit about that that tier for um learning how to kickstart your own comic the idea is i'm going to um record um I've been recording my process as mm. I'm going along. I am trying to construct videos where I'm sharing my screen, showing wow. how I go about making a Kickstarter step by step. And, and you've done just so everyone knows, you've done a lot of Kickstarters. Like obviously you've done Lavos de Mayo as well as 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 Helm Greycastle, but you are the director of operations for Top Cow and you've in the last year how many Kickstarters have you done? For Top Cow 3 three kickstarters for top cow on top of the two of your personals uh one, and then you know the yeah, ones that were before one this year. this year i finished lovelace the third chapter in october of mm-hmm. last year so in like yeah. a calendar year i guess five kickstarters but it's in this year so many 2020 has been four yeah and so i mean if anyone is is gonna know sort of how to how to and how not to do this this sort of thing. I mean, I, I think that this it's is the, definitely the best how place not to, to do it. this. Yes, because yeah. I don't want you to do all these steps and it fails. So mm-hmm. you know how not to do it. But here's how yeah. I do it. And if you're doing what I'm doing, you're not going to get very far in this industry. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I want, and also I hate when people tell me what to do. I hate when people, you know, fuck that. Like I, yeah. You know, this is how not to do it. So totally. Th- yeah. So the goal is to how to construct it. Tips on when you're filling out all these boxes, rewards, shipping, mm. uh, f- fulfillment, promoting, um, press, 
uh, how I construct my rewards, like what I'm offering, you know, it's all mm. that. And it's That's so awesome, man. Yeah, it's definitely a place to start. Here's the thing. I like you and I are friends. I I'm I know that like if, you know, as I'm getting closer to the time that I would be doing Kickstarter stuff that like if I if I really wanted to bug you, I'm sure that you would be a nice enough guy that you would tell me some answers to my questions. However, uh, I am going to be subscribing to this this tier of your Kickstarter because, like, frankly, this is such golden information that, like, I know within the next year or so that I will be needing. Uh, uh, and so it's I I think you know anyone out there who has you know like you've got a comic you're you're making something and you want to know the guardrails to look for. Uh, I think that's. You yeah, know, a huge. It's also going to save us time. Like, yeah, if you want to know how I do it, it's going to you're going to get learned way more from this than me sitting down 100 percent like starting from scratch, because like there is it's like, you know, it's almost like the question, how do you write a comic? You know what I mean? It's yep. like, how do you like it's like, <laughs> how do you write a comic? What do you mean? Like, yeah. And that's so much of what this podcast is based around is that like there are a million ways to do these things and and so many, you know, like things that work for people don't work for other people and all that stuff. And so it's, you know, this this podcast is a, a collection of knowledge through sort of, you know, stories and talking and stuff. But it's it's, you know, that kind of direct like this is my hands on experience. Here are these videos like that's yeah. That's so rare to come by for this kind of thing. Oh, definitely. Yeah, and I want this to be very specific and special for people. They can't yeah. go to YouTube. They can't, you know, mm-hmm. they can't like Google how to kickstart your comic. It's going to be like a personal place to find out how to do this. And totally, man. It's just one of those things where, you know, the, if there's more people, there are more Kickstarter comics, you're training. You're also like, I think for me, I think this is a. Uh, a more optimal way to get your stories out there. It's direct to consumer. I think that's one of the biggest problems comics is, yep. has, as you were mentioning before we started recording, you're mm-hmm. in a city where it's hard to get to a comic book store. And yep. yeah, I'm currently in New York for, for the people who are like, wait, he's in LA though. There's comic stores <laughs> everywhere. That and even in LA, like now we're restricting yeah. hours. A lot of comic book stores are folding, you know, yep. they're like, they're not ordering all the different titles that they normally would take a chance on. They have to be yep. more, um, you know, con- conservative when it comes to yep. what they're getting, you know, so you're going to see a lot of Batman on the racks because that's <laughs> yeah. what sells, you know? Yep. And for something like Helm Gray Castle, you know, there's going to be 400 people that get this book when it's done automatically. Yep. That's my control. Yeah. And it's, I mean, that's the thing, you know, and, and it, it's the, the beauty of Kickstarter, like you're saying, it's, it, it knocks down those barriers. It, it sort of removes a lot of those walls of, of, you know, how to get the comics, who can make them, how to make them, how to distribute them, you know, like previews, catalog, all that stuff that, that is, you know, the sort of complicated. Yeah, the minutia. Uh, uh, yeah, the minutiae of it all, that, that it does take down those walls. Obviously, it puts a lot more of a burden on on the creator's shoulders. Um, but, you know, it is the beauty of it is that like people and, and it, you know, I've, I've looked at the, the numbers and Kickstarter is uh, as reported. I can't remember. I think it was Comics Beat that reported it. But like Kickstarter is like the third. They account for what would essentially be the third largest comic book publisher in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, 
based on the number of comics that are put out through Kickstarter every year, which is amazing. Like it's it's opening up an entirely new avenue outside the direct market and also, you know, like giving opportunities for creators to get their stories out there without having to appeal to traditional editors or like, you know, whatever the biases of the industry are, um, you know, because obviously editors job is to, you know, green light stuff that would sell. Right. And, and so if, if their yeah, biases a lot of the are times they're working them, with their friends, you know, the, yes. And, and people they know that can turn in work. Yep. So they, they don't want, know, they don't, dependable. they want to mitigate risk. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. They're so, all about like, what's the least headache what's the most like bankable thing how can we make sure that there's a return on the investment and so kickstarter is one of those ways where you can go well i don't have to prove that to anybody exactly. you know in terms of like the concept of it i can directly show them that this is profitable i can you show also them don't need are. an editor like yeah you i i hire one because i know it's an important process mm-hmm. it's a lot more money to like mm-hmm. pay somebody and i'm, I'm gonna hire a proofreader so sure. like, you know, it, it's this Kickstarter, the, as soon as I get that money, it's gone. Yeah. You know, I know so much of it is because you're a publisher and creator, basically. Yeah. Publisher, creator, writer, marketing guy, you know, doing this. <laughs> Everything. Yeah. I mean, this is I'm very grateful that you asked me to do your show, but this is like my fourth podcast. It's like four yeah. hours of my life in this you know, talking about this, which I'm very grateful. Don't get me wrong, but like, totally it's the interviews that we did for CBR and leading cool and games radar and, you know, getting that out there. Thankfully I had Lisa Wu help me out with that. I I needed somebody to take something off my plate. So yeah, we're in a lot of hats, man. In addition to, you know, like we're talking about, I mean, for those who don't know, Henry is the director of operations. Is it still director of operations? Is that your title? I've not been demoted operations. <laughs> Nor will you be. I think that that company uh, <laughs> owes you a lot. Um, but uh, uh, you know, you do a lot in in comics, and and you really have to like manage a lot of things for for you know very labor intensive uh, works. And so it's you know it can't be easy adding all this stuff to your plate. I'm sure. Um, and I, I also you know you mentioned obviously that you hire an editor. I want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, what what to you is the biggest reason? that an editor has been a benefit to you. Obviously you've, you've worked with the same editor, uh, Claire Napier twice now for, for these two books. I don't know, probably more than that, that, that uh, no, I'm not aware of. T- but. I mean, we did a book called bun and tea. She's a, mm-hmm. she's a editor and writer for that. Um, Claire, I don't know if you're familiar with her work at women who write about comics, Eisner mm-hmm. award-winning yeah. comic news play, you know, site, which I think everyone Amazing should site. support on Patreon mm-hmm. You know, I think those, all those writers and editors there are some of the most important minds in the comic book industry. Um, yep. They don't, Claire doesn't pull any punches. Like Claire is very candid about what she thinks of what you're doing and mm-hmm. was, and that's what I needed when I, when I started Lavos. Like I needed somebody that wasn't Latinx, that wasn't, had a native, you know, background who could objectively tell me, does this make sense? Is this good? Yeah. And um, with Helm Greycastle, I just wanted to keep that rapport with Claire and say, hey, I need you to, uh, you know, tell me if this sucks or not, because I don't want 400 people to get this book and be horribly disappointed. Yeah. You want an editor who's going to tell you exactly what their honest opinion is and also like do the work of 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 making sure that they 
can give an honest assessment assessment that is that is you know thorough and 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 well informed uh definitely you know on and reading the work and doing their due diligence for for making sure that they're taking you know the whole thing in um talk, talk about some of the instances you know for you where where you know have there been any specific instances where where you've found that having that editor there saved you from you know like something that would have fully uh, uh derailed whatever you were trying to do um yeah i mean like claire helped me with the ending of lovelos and was like you know some of these characters need some closure mm-hmm. you know we need to have these moments and there was like a scene where i wanted to um articulate how my great-grandfather helped worked with the um the film and television commission in, in tucson and mm-hmm. got native americans hired as native americans in an old Western show called High Chaparral, mm-hmm. so he was like played a native, and everyone in the in the in the community got to go make some money and be on TV. Oh. And I wanted to show convey that information, but she she was you know honest. She was like, "What is this? How you know? What is this saying? Do we really need this? No, but I like I like this part." <laughs> but she was like but it's not really forwarding. It's kind of, it stops like it, it, it doesn't have a rhythm to this. Mm-hmm. And so I took it out. Uh, if there's a director's Man. cut and I get to get Gonzo to draw some more pages, I'm definitely going to find a way to <laughs> slide that in. Absolutely. That that's always the hardest thing is when it's like, Oh, but there's this thing that I really, really like, you know, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, like there's always those things that you're like, but this is so cool. This is like one of the things that I love about, you know, this mm-hmm. world or this story or like where it goes or whatever, you know, and like, yeah. uh, and I think it, it is especially hard when you're, when you're writing nonfiction, you know, cause like, and I think that's how some people tend to, you know, like we see these biopics oftentimes that, you know, feel more like Wikipedia articles than, than movies because, you know, you're writing that stuff and you're like, Oh, but like, there's this thing about this person that I like, you know, it's, it's something I love about this person or it's like a, an interesting story or like a weird fact, you know, like, uh, but then ultimately you watch the movie and you're like, okay, well, what, what did that have to do with, you know, any of the other stuff that, ha- how does it develop exactly. the character? How does that play into the theme? You know, but it's, it's that stuff that you love that it's just so hard to pull away from. And so I guess that's a brilliant, you know, sort of observation of how the editor comes in handy is just, uh, that, that they can be that objective voice to say, well, this doesn't actually function. This doesn't serve a purpose. Um, yeah, no, exactly. That's really there was one thing I learned. Um, I don't know if you ever listened to um, uh, Word Balloon. Uh, there was a oh, something called the, the Bendis Tapes. And uh, yep. Bendis talked about the need to cull some of the stuff. And one of the best examples was uh, Bonefinger, where mm. Steve Martin does this whole scene where he's like going to different dry cleaners. It's like a mm-hmm. very funny moment deleted scene, but like the payoff for the joke was like, it just didn't make any sense to be in the movie, but it's, it's a funny scene. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you got to know when to, you know, when these things can jive. Yeah. And that's when the editor comes in and helps you, you know, jive. No, that's, that's awesome. And I, I, yeah, I, I love hearing some of those examples just because it's always such a, um, I feel like especially for creators who haven't, you know, worked in the system at all or like haven't worked with an editor before, it is it is very nebulous what an editor does and, and an editor can often be different things to different people. Um, so it's interesting here that hearing the first uh, firsthand accounts. Um, I also want to hear a little bit about 
the way that you script for comics i you know it's there can be such wide-ranging uh ways that people work obviously some people don't even really write scripts they work more you know plot method or marvel method um what do your scripts typically look like do you have any kind of hard and fast rules for how you work how you write them you know my scripts are um you know jason aaron tweeted his script of Mm. thor uh god butcher Mm -hmm. so i've decided to adopt his style where it's like pretty pretty bare bones um it is definitely full script i do not every time i ask a writer do you what do you want full script or or marvel style i mean artist they're always Mm -hmm. they always say um they always say full script i have yet to work with someone that is that could that wants that freedom Mm-hmm. I can't wait, you know, just, just not because I want to be lazy, but more because I want to try it. Yeah. You know? It's really interesting because I do think that it's one of these like big generational divides. Um, I've seen some people talking about it on, on Twitter recently as well of like, whether they prefer plot style or, or full script. And, and it seems to me like the artists who, um, came up during the nineties, right. The artists who were, uh, used to kind of the, uh, you know, the bombastic splash page driven, you know, like double page spreads, that kind of stuff tend to be a lot more, um, lend a lot more preference towards plot style. And I think part of that is for, you know, the original art market yeah. and various things like that. Um, but I do feel like people who have come up in comics in the last, you know, we'll say 10 years, but it could even be longer than that tend to yeah like you're saying be much more preferential to the full script because then they can focus their energy you know at least from my perspective you know like can focus their energy on you know translating the story they don't have to worry too much about like okay like how many panels on this page you know where can i find a cliffhanger what can i you know like that Mm -hmm. that sort of stuff like all of that mental work is already done and so they can just focus on you know, framing on, on staging, on, you know, momentum, on page direction, like that kind of stuff and not have to worry so much about all the other, uh, uh, storytelling elements, you know, that, that go behind just, you know, the sort of essentially the job of the director. Definitely. Um, I mean, I'm also in the class of, of the six to eight panel, um, grid. And also I read more Instagram comics and I do like tangible mm. comics these days. So I, always looking for a way to make it compact for panel yeah. swiping um, buddy i you and me both i <laughs> the six panel grid is like all i've been working in for the last year i've been like doing a bunch of little experiments to sort of crack exactly how to like take the most advantage out of the instagram format and like i i've done so much like charts and mental math of like which layout is optimal like i'll do a six panel grid because that can be a square but then do i want it to be the conventional comic page size or do i want it to be like you know a a sideways comic book page so that it can be three on each tier like just you know and then like combining uh two of the panels you know to create like a widescreen panel that can be swiped you know but then like which ways that can i divide the panel that don't translate to instagram it's a whole thing i love that kind of um nitty-gritty stuff yeah no it's fun you know it's 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 great. I love it. That's one of the things I love most about it. When you write it, then it's then it gets mm-hmm. shot back at you and it's like, oh, this is way better than I could have ever expected. Sure. Totally. And so you you do you tend to um, 
stick toward like the I know a lot of people and me personally when I'm writing a script I tend to try as as much as I can to stick to like one page of script equals one page of of comic uh do you find yourself going over that or do you find yourself like condensing it a lot where where do you tend to lean there can you repeat that question I'm sorry basically just you know that that like for me when I'm writing a script I tend to um try to keep the contents of a script page to one page of of mm. comics right so that like it's it's you know page 1 you know if let's say there's five panels on the page all five of those panels are going to be on the same page and if I find myself going more than a page length I try to start paring it back down so that that's it's like a weird rule I, that I have and I don't know what That sounds like a goes. TV scripting rule interesting like one page is one minute kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. I, it, that might, that might be kind of where, where it came from originally. I think part of it was that I think at some point I heard an artist say like they liked to put the script page up next to their drawing board and that uh-huh. it was always like easily translatable if they had like a one page next to like their page or something. But I think no. for me, it also just became a rule of like not getting too verbose. I do a page break after the panel. If it bleeds into a second panel, got it okay so they're not looking at the same yeah that's what i do um sure also my my dialogue i think i mean i'm pretty you know that's what's that's what i'm more cautious of than i am Mm. how how many pages one page is going to be you know sure Um, sure because when i write i also convey the mood the character's Mm -hmm. stance you know everything's one action so yeah. No matter what is in the panel, there's only one action. Mm-hmm. There's always a cliffhanger at the end of each panel. I mean, at the yep. end, end of each page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm more concerned with the length of di- dialogue than I am with uh, the descriptions. Um, but yeah, and sure, then I sure. do the panel break. That makes sense. And and you uh, do you find yourself going back to revise your dialogue like once you've gotten the art back or like the lettering or anything do you how I how used often to letter you myself tweaking? yeah i would revise mm-hmm. lettering but now that i have someone to letter and their time is more precious mm-hmm. or at least i'm more respectful of their time than i am with my own uh sure, sure. i am definitely doing one one dialogue pass and then they do their second pass and that's it unless like I, I try to make sure editorial gets the script, reads it. Mm-hmm. Editorial and I go back and forth, and then, and then the, they get that pan, that 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 final pass. Got it. It's uh, it's fun here and just sort of like the the nuts and bolts. And I know people tend to get really um, um obsessive over craft, and so I like asking just some of those kind of like very specific questions, just uh, just to yeah. kind of hear how people differ you on know, these people, things. Uh, people do like the how the sausage. <laughs> Yeah, it's always the thing of like, what tools do you use? And a lot of people, you know, most people tend to be like, well, it yeah. doesn't really matter. Like, here's what I use, but everyone uses a different, you know, like, no one's going to, no yeah, two artists are going to get the same out of it. <laughs> there you go. Uh, um, I, did, I did I did go back to Final Draft for a recent project just so that, because it's on an older laptop and I wanted to, mm. um, I wanted to uh, kind of go, I kind of wanted to make sure that I was on an old machine that, I wrote my first scripts on and, and use a different program just to kind of uh, get me out of my comfort zone. That's so funny. I, I have such a separation of church and state with um, Google Docs and Final Draft where I'm like, okay, when I'm doing like 
you know, like screenplay type stuff, I'll, I'll go in final draft. But when I'm doing comic stuff, if I'm, you know, doing like any kind of comic script or whatever, that it's got to be in, in uh, Google Docs for some reason. I don't know why I uh, separate them so much in my head, but I'm always like, this is for this and this is for this. And that's how I keep it. <laughs> no, that's good. You know, I mean, whatever uh, works for you, whatever, whatever takes you to the finish line. My friend Dennis yeah. Culver says making a comic is like, is like a mir- making a miracle. You know, every truly, every time you have a book in your hand that you got from the comic book store, no one's ever gonna realize how difficult it was to get to that point. Yeah, my buddy, I you know the 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 stack of probably at this point well over a hundred comics pages that I uh, uh, have sort of tossed to the side and and forgotten about uh, will definitely attest to that. It's it's a miracle when any of them get through the finish line. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, and, and it's a miracle anyone actually reads it. <laughs> Truly, I feel you. Uh, well, so to, to, to start to wrap this up, I want to ask a few kind of, um, you know, more fun questions or kind of ethereal, not necessarily directly related to the work, but still related. Uh, what do you, do, do you find yourself when you're writing something like this, do you uh, try to suck in inspiration? Do you go like, you know, find, you know, similar stories or things within the genre to sort of suck in? Or do you, do you think that you're more on the side of like shutting that stuff out? Uh, yeah, I definitely avoid fantasy these days. Interesting. Um, I definitely do not. I mean, because it's such a love letter to Tolkien and Lord of the Rings, that's as far as I want it to go. That makes sense. Um, but I am in, enriched or engrossed or overwhelmed by Mesoamerican history mm-hmm. um, because that's stuff I, I want to steal and I want to replicate. Um, but yeah, Absolutely. like uh, it, at the end of the day, uh, Helm Greycastle is a revenge story. So I guess I'm trying to keep to that. If I, if I do want to look for inspiration, I am looking for a revenge story that doesn't have, um, you know, barbarians and, wizards <laughs> sure that makes sense um in our in our last interview in your last uh, appearance on the show you mentioned that uh, mike allred's uh, madman was uh, one of your like first big comics inspirations of like what got you to fall in love with the medium um i'm curious if there's any if if, if you can see any tangible uh links between that book and your work is there anything from madman or even just you know the allred's work in general that uh, you feel like has influenced you as a creator um, I got to be, I don't know if I mentioned this on the first podcast, but I was on a panel with Mike Allred oh. and we talked about comics and music and how music and comics are basically the same thing. Like each panel is a note, it's a beat, it's a part of the mm-hmm. song you're trying to kind of sing. So mm-hmm. there is, de- the, I think Shiva is a nod to that, to music and comics and being the like, the character that could do anything. She sure is the mad woman, the madman of this book where um, she c- can play music and, and lure people in and transport the team and just be this thing you can't understand, but you need it. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you need this thing. And it's that music. It's that beautiful melody that keeps people in this world spinning. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm very lucky that this campaign, I was able to wrangle David Lapham, who's my all-time uh, favorite mm-hmm. cartoonist uh, of Stray Bullets and Lodger and, and Silverfish and Murder Me Dead and, and Young Liars. He agreed to do a cover for yeah. me, and I 
you know, I could get hit by a bus tomorrow and <laughs> I have done what I've wanted to do in this world. Work with And that cover favorite. is great. Thank you. I can't, uh, Brian is coloring it. I can't wait till it has color and, um, I'm, I'm going to get the original art. Uh, I'm going to have it buried with me. And, uh, (laughs) yeah, this is like a pinnacle moment in my, in my professional career as a, as a comic book author. And I, everyone listening should go and like, if even if for some reason you're not necessarily planning on backing this yet, which you're insane if you're not, but but even <laughs> if you're not, you do need to go to this page and look at not only the covers but the interiors. Like these these covers will blow you away. I I can't believe like how gorgeous and the the interiors too. Like I I'll be honest when I first saw when you first launched the campaign and I saw that cover, I saw how gorgeous uh, that Ramat's cover was and. I was like, okay, like Henry was able to wrangle an amazing cover, you know, and like, I'm sure the interior art won't be quite up to that, but like, it's awesome that he got such a, a really cool cover for his book. But then I clicked on the campaign and saw the interior pages that you guys have here. And it, it truly, there's like not a loss in quality between cover to page, which is so rare. Um, yeah, that is important. I think in comics, especially if you want to maintain a readership within a yeah. series that, like when you, I mean, when you look at a Hellboy cover, you're going to get that in the interiors, yeah. like those old school Hellboy comics, like hundred percent. Yeah. No, uh, Ramat is incredibly talented. We also have Matt, uh, Emmons doing his first, yeah. uh, variant cover and, um, he is such a great guy and I am so excited to work with someone like him and, and someone who's young. He's like 21, 22. Oh, wow. You know, he's just one of those kids who like he has his whole life ahead of him. I feel like I'm the mm-hmm. old guy now <laughs> at 31 and all these like 21, 24 year olds. I feel you, man. I'm you know? I'm starting to get into that zone, too, where like you know I I don't know. Yeah, it's, I, you know, and like I'm not I'm not getting, you know, crazy old yet. I feel like I'm still young and I've got a lot of career ahead of me. But like I saw, um, do you know, Zoe Thorogood, the British cartoonist? She, um, yeah she just put out that book, uh, uh, the impending blindness of Billy Scott. And I recently found out she's like 22 or something. And that pissed me off. So much. <laughs> like, are you kidding? It's, you know, she puts out a 120 page graphic novel at the age wow. of 22. And now I'm like, well, I, I guess now I have, um, no excuses not to, uh, be putting all the pages I make into something that's actually going somewhere. Uh, so no, it's, definitely. you know, it, one of those things. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where, uh, age is just a number and that's um, true. I'm really lucky that I've got some new blood. You know, that's one of the most important things I think yeah. in my, in my, if I, what I want to do in this industry is introduce more people, give them a shot. Cause I, I was given a shot at top cow if it weren't for them taking a risk on, you know, what am I, uh, what the 28 year old, 27 year old guy, Mm-hmm. who had one anthology under his belt you yeah know, i'm super lucky no totally and it's i i am i'm very excited for uh for everything that's that's uh coming next uh from the henry barajas uh line of books uh before we we wrap up i want to hear what what are you reading lately i mean in any medium like what's what's inspiring you what's what's refilling the tank uh sure. uh, uh reading wise um there was this um there's this new book that's on my desk I'm about to dig into called Redbone. It's a story mm. 
Native Amer- a story of a Native American rock band. And my friend sent me, the editor, Justin Eisenberg, sent me some PDFs of the original, of the like uncorrected proofs. And it's mm-hmm. such a beautiful comic. And it's really important, I think, that we get more Native American voices out there. Um, Hell yeah. That is big. Uh, there's this uh, Korean graphic novel called Grass about this girl interviewing her grandma who was this Ooh. little girl was denied an education, forced into slavery, and it's such a brutal, beautiful black and white graphic novel that was translated from Korean to English and got that from my library. Uh, Ebony Flowers' book was really good. I, I don't know. I, I kind of, uh, I mean, aside from stuff written by my friends, um, sure. Like uh, I'm reading, I'm really digging Donny Cates's um, crossover. Oh really yeah, good. Uh, good Course. book. Uh, his Thor run. Uh, yeah, Matthew Rosenberg's uh, Hawkeye. Like, if you're, oh, I mean, I, I've kind of really just stopped reading superhero big two stuff. I've mm-hmm. gotten to a point where I can't take the heartbreaks. I can't take the, I can't take like you know. I don't know. I feel like uh, I'm not at that point in my life. I can't wait to get back into reading superhero stuff. That isn't sure. You know, I mean, I'm if if. If I wasn't into what my friends were doing, then I wouldn't read it. But I really like what they're putting down. Um, totally. I guess as far as like big two stuff. But, hey, and I feel you like the big two. I It's one of those things where I, you know, obviously coming into comics, I was a huge DC kid. And like I, you know, kind of always have been. But at the same time, like if I'm looking at what I'm reading, you know, like the the percentage of big two books that are in what I'm reading is is probably somewhere around 10% at this point. Like it's, which it's like, also, you know, people doing great work, but yeah. Oh yeah, uh, Chu John Layman brought Chu back with his yeah the sister. That's pretty funny. Also, absolutely yeah, new great new artists and Rob Guillory variant covers are so great. Um, yeah, man, Liana Kangas, uh, and she's been doing some great stuff for TKO. I know. Uh, I need to get my hands on Seeds of Eden. I've been like trying to find it at comic stores, uh, which like I could just order it online i guess at yeah. this point but i've been trying to find it at a shop um, um giga by alex pacnadel the um yeah. vault comics series is yeah pretty pretty great yeah no That's i'm, dumb, I'm lucky you know I, i've also been watching a lot of british bake-off <laughs> i just Same. finished that oh, i love that show i just it's i don't know what it is about quarantine that like really makes uh reality shows and competition shows much more appealing yeah, it's it's. I feel like I was looking at it. I was like, this is a reality show, but I don't know anything about them. There's no like yeah. internal conflict where at all <laughs> they get like drunk and one of them like you know I'm, I don't know. I, I think it's mm-hmm. uh it's the most wholesome stuff. I, I, I have binged a lot of stuff this year. It, so if you're really into a, a British baking show, we my girlfriend and I recently watched. Um, it was like American Barbecue Challenge, I think is what it's called. It's on Netflix. It is, I think, the closest um, American Barbecue Showdown. It's the closest equivalent that we have to British Baking Show, where it's like a bunch of people doing barbecue. There's like no drama between them. It's just like people kind of like working their hardest to to uh, you know make the best barbecue. It's very lovely, very wholesome um and like yeah it's 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 a fun one to watch i will try it you know i um you know i went to um the uk for the first time last year for thought bubble and i fell in love with that area so like watching that show made me feel like i was back in harrogate sipping (laughs) tea right on yeah man i mean hey have you been to bloodsoes in in la 
No, everyone keeps talking about it, but I uh, support this black owned um, barbecue spot called Memphis Grill. That's my. Got it. That's where I'm going. Uh, I do want to check out Bledsoe's, so everyone keeps talking about it. And to be fair, Bledsoe's is also black owned. Just, just oh, so you know, so we know. So you're still yeah, yeah. supporting black owned business, which, uh, which is something that uh, is desperately needed uh, right now. We gotta, we gotta make the business landscape in America much more diverse. Um, but yeah, Kevin Bledsoe is one of the judges on this uh, American Barbecue Show, and oh, really? Really interesting. Okay. To talk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, but anyway, I'll check it out. You know, I should probably order there now. I'm I haven't had dinner, so hey, there you go. Um, but anyway, Henry, we've we've talked. Uh, uh, I think you know well over an hour at this point. I don't want to take you all night, especially if you need to eat dinner. <laughs> um, but it's it's been lovely catching up with yeah, you since we've been so uh, good to divided by quarantine. You, I miss you. Hey, same man. We we'll have to uh, get back together when all this is over. But um, for for all the listeners. Uh, please go check out Helm Grey Castle number one on Kickstarter. Uh, that is Grey Castle with an E. Uh, I The first time <laughs> I tried to search it for some reason, I couldn't find it because I was uh, putting an A in there. I um, wonder if that is why some people can't find it. That might be. I It, it took me a second, but then once I once I uh, realized that I had put an A instead of an E, um, I mean, the best way is just to Google. If you Google, then it'll Google will sort of correct uh, your it? path. I'm going to try that. Google. Yeah. At least, like, if you misspell it, it'll it'll probably suggest. Um, let's see. We'll we'll find out. Uh, but either way, they you know, yes, yeah. Even if you misspell it on Google, it'll uh, the top link is to your Kickstarter, along with a bunch of links to the articles covering your Kickstarter. Good. Um, but check out the page. It's, it's some lovely, lovely interior art and covers uh, that are displayed there, as well as more about the story, the RPG. Um, the tiers are as low as, you know, I mean, $6 is your, is your lowest tier. So it's very affordable. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, and like I said, there's, there's only a week left, uh, and, and you're nearing those stretch goals right now. So I, I want to see all those knocked out. I want to see the, the, the army of workshoppers come out in force. Now that the show is back, <laughs> get reinvigorated and, and go support Henry's Kickstarter. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's good to hear from you. And I look forward to catching up in person. Of course, man. Likewise. And uh, where can people find you on uh, on the internet personally? Oh, I um, oh, I'm so glad Backpages is back up. You can find me there. Um, yeah. My OnlyFans. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, I'm on Twitter. Hey, man, don't don't tease me uh, like Henry that. I'll, I'll subscribe right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, find me on Twitter and Instagram, uh, Facebook. If you want to meet my family, uh, talking about politics. Hell yeah. So yeah. Oh man. <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> been been using Facebook as a as a real um megaphone for the last few months to all the all my red you know state uh, uh, family. I know how it is. Um all right. Well, Henry, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh we will look forward to talking next time. Definitely, man. Good to see, good to hear from you. once again to Henry Barajas for joining the show. Uh, make sure to follow Henry at Henry Barajas and check out his Kickstarter, Helm Grey Castle, which only has a few days left. Uh, also thanks to Sean Rosner for providing the music for the show. You can follow Sean at Sean the Rosner on Instagram. Uh, thanks to all of you, most importantly, for sticking around and continuing to listen. I know a year is a long time to go without updates, and I can't believe that uh, so many people stuck around and, and were uh, curious enough to, to reach out and keep asking. Um, I 
couldn't appreciate it more. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited for what's to come. We've got some incredible guests lined up. So follow the show at TMBC Workshop on Instagram and Twitter to uh, keep up. Uh, you can also follow me at Jason Halftones on Twitter and Instagram. And if you like the show, please drop a rating and review on uh, whichever podcast app you use. Thanks for listening and keep at it. That might be cool.com. You never know.